You're listening to the Sports Blog New York podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to the SBNY podcast on Apple Podcasts app, Google Play, SoundCloud, and on Spotify. On today's episode, I am joined by the NBA outsider himself, John Lucas Duffy, JLD. Duffy is in the house. We are here to talk all things NBA, most specifically, the most interesting strength of schedule conversation that we can muster up, inspired by a couple articles and some statistics that we've seen about uh, some key teams in the NBA, including the Utah Jazz, who have had one of the hardest schedules in the league, and a team like the Dallas Mavericks, who has had one of the easiest schedules in the NBA thus far. What does this mean moving forward as we approach the the midway point of the season in just a couple weeks? Uh, and how can we use this to project what's going to go down with some of these teams who we do expect great things out of? Other teams we highlighted are the 76ers, the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, both L.A. teams, as well as the Toronto Raptors, amongst some other stuff as they popped up throughout conversation. Other quick news here. Uh, happy I had some technical difficulties recording this intro. I was able to see the news that the Yankees signed Garrett Cole. $324 million over nine years is the word right now. If I recorded this intro uh, when I wanted to and not when my computer wanted me to, I would not have gotten that piece of information out. But here we are talking about the Yankees and Garrett Cole wearing the pinstripes. So congratulations, Yankee fans. That is exciting news. Um, there has been some moments in the past few years where Yankee fans are considering the Yankees not big spenders. Are they doing the Yankee way, or are they running like a small market team of sorts? Obviously, that with a big caveat of them still being the Yankees. But Steinbrenner and Cashman went out and got Garrett Cole, one of the best pitchers in MLB last year, and a guy who had great playoff experience last year, even though he did not end up on top. So congratulations again to Yankee fans. Garrett Cole coming your way, a true ace, wearing pinstripes next season. But without further ado, it's time to get to the real reason why we're here today, to talk some NBA hoops. John Lucas Duffy is here with me. We're talking strength of schedule. We're also doing our second installment of clickbait corrections towards the end of this episode. And also talking just a little bit of Knicks because we have not got to weigh in on the Fisdale situation and what the Knicks are trying to do if anyone's able to figure it out. But if you like what you've been hearing, don't be bashful. Feel free to subscribe to the SBNY podcast on Apple Podcasts app or wherever you listen to podcasts and go on to the Apple Podcasts app. Leave a five-star review and tell us what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear more of in the review section. We love nothing more than to hear from you guys about this podcast. It means the world to me when I hear somebody who's listening that they care enough to reach out and hit me with some five stars, hit me with a review. It really does make my day. So here we are. It's time for another episode of the Sports Blog New York podcast with myself, Peter Kennedy, and John Lucas Duffy. Let's get it started right here, right now. Stay tuned. Here we go, Sports Blog New York Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy. Joining me, NBA outsider himself, John Lucas Duffy, JLD. What's up, Duffy? How we doing? Petey. What's up, bro? 
Ah, man, doing well, doing well. We don't have our guy Frank Villani with us tonight. Shout out to Frank. He's actually uh, hooking up. Uh, Frank the Builder. Frank the Builder is hooking up his brand new PC, top notch. Who knows how much he did put into that thing it's crazy but he's hooking up his new pc so that could mean possibly when frank returns to the podcast hopefully next week uh he'll be back with some high quality audio duff can you believe it or will you believe when you hear it i'll believe it when i hear it 100 percent. that's fair i feel like every time we're on here without frank we just smack talk his audio but you know what you gotta do what you gotta do this this is this is what we call positive peer pressure. We're peer pressuring him to be better. Exactly. I mean, it's not our fault because we got a rating and review that was luckily five stars, Duff, but it was not a flattering review because the guy pretty much said, I fast forward through Frank's takes because I cannot stand his audio. And as bad as I feel saying that, the proof is in the pudding. Somebody else wrote that in a review. No, not me or you. We didn't prompt that message. That was given to us. So we had to act. We had to put the pressure on him. But he's going to deliver. He'll be back soon there, with some high-quality audio. Is there a name on that review or no? I, I I think it is. And we know who it is. We've talked about it before. Yeah, I think I know who it is. <laughs> <laughs> may or name may not be related to... Uh, Oh, it's one of the two people talking right here. <laughs> uh, but not, nonetheless, it was unprompted, and it was a fair criticism that we are acting on. But that's besides the point. we got to get to the real stuff here. NBA season, uh, over a quarter of the way through, there has been some intrigue uh, or lack of intrigue, depending on how you look at it. Maybe there's some intrigue about the lack of intrigue around the NBA, if that makes sense. I think we talked about it a little bit last week, but... This week, as we learn more and more about this league and about these teams, who's the best, who's due for a big run into the middle point of the year, who's been overperforming, underperforming, all that stuff starts to become interesting as we get more of a sample size. Uh, so, Duff, I know you read a fantastic article that you're hyping up. I have not read it, but you gave me the gist of it. We're going to talk about it on today's episode, and it has to do with strength of schedule and what it could mean for some teams moving forward uh, in a positive way or maybe a negative way so before we really dive into it give us a quick rundown of this article uh duff that talks a lot about strength of schedule yeah so when the teams were about late you know like 20 23 games this is the end of last week i was actually thinking about this stuff and trying to do it on my own figure out what teams have had the toughest strength of schedule who's gonna be you know moving forward who who's outperformed who's got uh, an easy schedule coming up that, you know, we think is, you know, a team we think is struggling, but they're going to come out of nowhere and then just kind of, you know, shoot up the standings. You know, where's that going to come from? I was trying to just get ahead of the curve here. And then lo and behold, uh, yesterday, Zach Cram from the ringer, who's really good with uh, statistics and analytics uh, and doing a really like good research, deep dive into a lot of things. He said what the, you know, the title of the head, um, the headline of the article was, uh, what the schedule tells us about who's really who's real and who's not, right? Zach Cram, the ringer, and he focused on four teams. The Jet. Well, I'm going to focus on four teams. I think he actually wrote about five. He talks about the Jazz, the Sixers, the Raptors, the Pacers, and then the Warriors, who are kind of irrelevant. The the gist of the Warriors thing was basically like their past strength of schedule is like 27th, and then their future strength of schedule is like the third hardest. So, like, if you thought it was bad right now, it's going to get way worse. <laughs> so, good news for Warriors fans. Uh, life comes at you fast. We talked about it last week. Yeah. Also, good news, though. Can't lie. It's not bad news for the Warriors. I mean, they can be in line for uh, that 15% odds at the first pick. So, we'll see. It's, it works out well, as we saw last season. 
Uh, so the <laughs> the Jazz, the Jazz were the, actually the most interesting one to me because I felt like they had been playing poorly, but they're right. They're they're not far off from the Nuggets, you know. But I've also felt like the Nuggets haven't been playing well either, right? Jokic is fat, and they gotta <laughs> they gotta worry about uh, too many guys, like the too you know the too many guys syndrome out on the wings. You got Murray, you got Morris, you got Harris, you got um, Barton, you got Porter Jr. Like where do you put all these guys? You got right? Grant. So, excuse me, Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant, who's he? I'll slide him more towards the four range, but still fair, a fair perimeter enough. guy, probably right. So. Um, Fair enough. Uh, and now, you know, looking towards the end of the season, are the Jazz going to have their classic rally that they do where they come out of the gate slow, but then they really ramp it up? Or are they just kind of te- going to kind of teeter here because a lot's been made of Mike Conley's struggles, Joe Ingles, stuff like that. So I think they're actually the most interesting team to talk about from this uh, slant. So right now the Jazz record is 13-10. and 10. They are. They've had the you know sixth or eighth, depending on where you where you check strength to schedule, and then their future strength to schedule is the thirtieth. So it's what what I mean by that. Like one is the hardest, thirtieth is the least difficult. So now moving forward, they have the easiest schedule, which is great news for them because their defense it seems like it's backsliding, right? You know, you think since Quinn Snyder's took over, they were the in 14-15 season, right? Up to this year. So this is how it ranks year by year. They had the 14th defense, the 7th, 3rd, 1st, 2nd, and now this year the 11th ranked defense thus far through the season. You can see that jump real quick into the top five with the teams they have coming up apparently, right? So just they're the one of the only teams, if not the only team in the Western playoffs, Western playoff, they are the only team in the Western playoff picture currently who has a losing record against the Eastern Conference, right? But, you know, the Eastern Conference has been better this year. So you look at teams like that they've played so far. They've played Milwaukee twice, the Sixers twice, Toronto, Indiana, and Brooklyn, right? So when the Knicks and the Hawks start rolling into town, it's going to be a lot easier for those Jazz fans, um, which is great news for Pete. That's Pete's second favorite team. Shout out. As, as he'll be happy to tell you. So, Pete, that's that's my whole spiel. And basically from watching them – they they really don't look like they have it all together. Look, they they're still trying to find themselves. You know, they've added a new ball handler after, you know, Mitchell has got to learn to play off ball a little more, right? Because so so much of his first two years, he just had the ultimate green light, and now this year he's got to try to share the load with Conley, which will be good for him, I think, at the long run if they can figure it out. But to me, they look like they're not sure how to get back to their old selves. Joe Ingles hasn't been playing well, like I said earlier. Mike Conley is not fitting in, you know, Gobert, he really only goes as far as his point guard or whoever he's running the point pick and roll with is going to take him. Right. Cause he just relies on people feeding him the ball towards the rim. So my question to you is you, you took this more from an analytical standpoint. How do you feel about the jazz? Because I actually think they're going to find their footing later on. I think Quinn Snyder's too good a coach and they have a lot of really smart players on their team. Yeah, so a couple things jump out quickly. And first things first, does the NBA do this on purpose? Like the last two seasons and now seemingly for the third season in a row. It's so hard to to figure out, right? Because when they're making the schedule, I think they do it before free agency. Some of it definitely. I mean, I'm sure they're working on next year's schedule already. You know what I mean? Right, right. Like, I don't know exactly. what They start releasing some of it maybe earlier on, but it's probably mostly done. I I don't know I don't know but it's does Utah get like the shit end of the stick or the better end of the stick I'm not sure because it doesn't really hurt 
that badly if you do have a cakewalk of a second half schedule, as the Jazz have shown in the past two years, they can kind of hit their stride when when playoffs come around. Not that it's led to crazy playoff success, but besides the point, real quick, we obviously are going to dive deeper into more specific teams uh, into this regard. But let's talk about the Jazz and also a real a real quick programming note. Though you did shout out an article title there, we are not yet on clickbait corrections. I think that that uh, article title is exactly what it needed to be. It was informative, told you what it was going to do, and accomplished just that. We will do our second installment though of clickbait corrections at the end of today's episode. So stay what tuned are you, for fucking that. Fucking headline police! All of a sudden, I was, I was, I'm just saying we're, we're doing the click, <laughs> we're doing clickbait corrections. I'm not going to not correct a little bit. I thought that was a good one. I'm just saying. Shout out. Shout out to Zach Graham, yeah, or whoever the sh- editor was. Shout out to Zach Graham and the editors, whoever it is over there at the ringer. But we're going to do that later. We're also later going to talk about uh, the Fisdale firing. We didn't want to open with that on today's episode because it's a little bit old news. Uh, this episode is going to come out on Wednesday. It already happened like four or five days ago. It feels like it happened a week ago already, two weeks ago already. Uh, but we will talk about the Knicks towards the end of the episode as well. But this strength of schedule situation is very interesting you know, as you think about the Bucks and the Lakers and the Raptors and Celtics and Clippers and all these teams that really are the, the cream of the crop right now, uh, who has been a beneficiary of the schedule? Who has been just beating everyone who's in front of them no matter what? It's something that is interesting when you're trying to project forward. But now, after my spiel there, back to the Utah Jazz. I, I do want to mention another quick statistic here. And like you said, I came at this from a slightly more analytical standpoint because when you're talking about this stuff, the numbers do really jump out now that we have some sort of sample size. First things first, Duff, do you know who the least efficient paint scorer in this season is? In the in the entire NBA this season, who's the least efficient paint scorer in the NBA? I'm glad you brought this up because I actually saw this graphic today as I was scrolling the interwebs, and it is Mike Conley, right? He's it is. like 37.5% in the paint. 37.5% in the paint from Mike What's Conley. I know. What's so interesting about that statistic is you look at the other guys who are on that list. It's like Devontae Graham and Dylan Brooks. It's like a, a bunch of uh, maybe Kobe White, uh, I think – Darius Garland is on that. It's like a lot of young guys who, are, who have only been in the league for like two, three years. They're like Dylan Brooks. You think of him as a shooter, right? Not necessarily as guys going to attack the paint. So that was like shocking to me because it, it was just not only how bad it was, but the company he's keeping, you know? Yeah. And just for a quick little roundabout here. So these numbers aren't exactly one-to-one here, but on basketball reference, you get uh, the field goal percentage broken out by distance. So, Right now, basketball reference has his by distance zero to three feet at 48%, right? So that's not just in the paint. That's three feet could obviously be on the baseline a little bit outside the paint uh, and et cetera. But for just for a general uh, vicinity thing there, and then also I'll do between three and 10 feet for Conley. Right now, zero to three feet, he's 48%. And between three and 10 feet, which will probably be a lot of paint shots as well, he's at 33%. So that's a general vicinity of what this Kirk Goldberry stat is about paint scores, right? 48 and 32 over his career, he's been right now again 48 and 32. Over his career, he's been 55 and 49, 57 and 40, 60 and 47, 54 and 40, 58, 43, 61, 38. I don't have to go on anymore, but they're all really good numbers. This year, he is 10% lower or more in both sides of the category. 
that's that's incredibly bad for a guy who we look at as one of the most consistent players in the league and a guy who I love, I know you love. I don't think anybody in the NBA hates. They just may not have seen him that pl- play that much in Memphis. He's somebody we thought was a plug-and-play in Utah, would um, in theory fit perfectly. It has not gone that way so far, but that comes to the two points that uh, become important here in this overarching discussion. One, they have been facing good teams, which means it is going to be harder for him to find the consistency. And two, we are only 25 games or so into this season. Is he used to playing with Rudy Gobert? Probably not yet. If you think about who Mike Conley has had success with in his career, it's Mark Gasol, one of the most intuitive, um, you know, skilled big men who's a great passer, good roller, good shooter, all around talented guy as his pick and roll partner. It couldn't be a different player than Rudy Gobert other than Marc Gasol offensively, right? So it's going to take time for Conley. And now hearing about this strength of schedule stuff and what their future is looking like, it only makes me more confident, Duff, because there is an eye test thing here where you just watch them play and there's some clunkiness and Bojan Bogdanovic is new to them. Jeff Green is new to them and he stinks. So he's trying to figure out how he's not going to mess it up that bad, which he's really bad at figuring out. So I I was confident they were going to figure it out to begin with, Duff. But combining all these things together and seeing that their defense is still very strong in this league, like comparatively uh, across different statistics like I am less worried than I was before this because I I had the strong feeling the gut feeling that they were going to start figuring it out but now breaking down all these numbers putting it into one uh, thought inside my brain here I am way less worried than I thought I even could have been I don't know if that's how you feel about the Jazz but that makes me feel pretty damn good now yeah, I mean, look, it, it it doesn't make me feel great. I still don't feel great about them. I just feel hopeful that they'll be able to turn it around, right? So that's the perspective I'm trying to take it from. Like, bad numbers are still bad numbers. But you have a chance to turn it around because your degree of difficulty has been so high, right? And I think you hit the nail right on the head with Marcus Hall. Instead of Rudy Gobert, you think of Gobert. Like, he's just going to dunk the ball. Like, that's all he's going to do. He's got some decent touch around the rim, but he is not going to shoot the ball from past 10 feet. You know, like he might give you like a baby hook push shot from the middle of the lane. That's about it. Whereas Gasol can really stretch it to three-point range. So I think that is a huge factor in just terms of room around the paint. Right, spacing, um, 100%. Because, yeah, because you think of you think of the grit and grind Grizzlies. Like, you don't really think of spacing and three-point shooting. But the big men they've always had, Marcus Gasol or Zebo, have been those spacing type of at least a mid-range shot, right? Which, you know, you don't get from Gobert. So I think that... That in itself is really part of this is a bit is a big factor in this equation. Also, quick correction on my end: I shouted out Jeremy Grant before when you talk about the Jazz, and that was a quick uh, Freudian slip as I saw Jeremy Grant on the TV screen as we sit here with the Nuggets and Sixers game in the background. So Freudian slip there, Jeremy Grant not on the Jazz, but the Jazz and Nuggets we often do think of in the same ilk, these high uh, high tiered Western Conference teams. So quick correction there. Uh, also, yeah. based off the ESPN strength of schedule formula, the Utah Jazz have the third hardest schedule so far this year. So you said you saw sixth on the Zach Cram article. So even furthermore, according to ESPN, they've, they say they have the, the third hardest schedule to this point. Yeah, this these numbers are only updated as like Saturday or Sunday, so it didn't take last night's games right. into account. So that's probably where the the difference is coming from. And another thing that like just makes me ponder here, right? When when we're th- really thinking about uh, who's who's the real cream of the crop in this league yet, and you think about who made the schedule, 
Did you expect stuff for the top of the Eastern Conference to be this good? I know we knew Milwaukee and Philly have were going to be pretty close to this good, if not Philly a little better, Milwaukee maybe a little worse, but together about even. But think about Boston, think about Miami and Toronto and Indiana. Like, is the top five in the East that much worse, if not close to even in the West? Like, what do you what do you think about that that quick question there? Uh, I, I would probably agree. Like, I, I really do think it's really, it's very balanced towards the top of each conference. You know, the thing about the East that surprised me, I wouldn't say it's, uh, that the top is so good. I think it's that the top is so deep. Like when I, before the season started, I was really thinking of the Bucks and the Sixers and then everyone else. Now I'm really kind of like the Bucks are the best team in the East right now, for sure. They're the only team with more than 20 wins. They have 21. No one else has more than 17. Um, the Sixers got a chance to go for 18 tonight and same for the heat, I think later on or no, uh, anyway, but you think of the Sixers, the heat, the Celtics and the Raptors, like between those four teams, I don't really think there's too much of a difference. Like if you, if you ask me to take one of those teams out of the mix, I would say the heat, um, just because I don't think they have the top end talent for a playoff run, but for regular season, they have really skilled guys who know their role in, you know, they're, they're really skilled in certain aspects. So whether it's like a bam out of bio, who's just flying to the rim, Dragic, who can space the floor with a Tyler hero, or, you know, just Jimmy Butler's clearly the alpha on that team. They have guys who know their role and that's what makes them so dangerous in the regular season. Um, and possibly the postseason if Butler gets hot, something like that. But I really think that matches up well with, you got a team like the Lakers who I would put right up against the bucks, the Clippers, you know, same thing. They they're 18 and seven. But I would, I would say same thing for them. Mavs are like a better version of the Heat. And then the Nuggets and Rockets to round it out. I think the Nuggets are sort of similar to the Celtics where they just have like a conglomerate of guys who can who can do something for you. And the Rockets, I don't know. There's no, there's really no other team like the Rockets out there right now. So. <laughs> they, they are one of a kind, honestly. Yeah. Uh, according to ESPN's RPI rankings, uh, which gives, uh, what did I say it stands for here, Duff? It stands for Relative, Relative. Percent Index. Yeah, relative percent index. We know it from college basketball. ESPN's doing it yeah, with the NBA. Yeah, just a quick aside. When Pete was like, hey, you know, I've been checking out the relative per- percent index. I'm <laughs> like, what out. the hell are you talking about, man? And then he's like, <laughs> he's explaining it to me, which he'll explain to all of you. And then I was just like, oh, is that just RPI, what they use in college basketball for strength to schedule? And he was like, oh, shit, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty, I never knew what it stood for. It's pretty much the, it is the exact same thing. You know, there's a couple added statistics here that I don't think they I haven't in college, heard of it in, a, yeah. in, in, in um, like, it rel- relative to the NBA before, though. So that's why yeah. I probably just out of context. Yeah, me too. I Honestly, I didn't even think about it in, in regards to college basketball. I totally forgot. And then you said it, I felt kind of dumb. <laughs> kind of interesting. Uh, do you right, have, tell the people. Tell the do people. you have any more specifics on the Jazz? Because I do have some questions about some other teams. I know you have some other teams you want to get to. Because I have one more stat on the Jazz, if, if you have anything else to add. No, no, I'm good. Say your stat, and then I'm, I'm ready to move on. Okay, so for the Jazz right now, they are... Their defense, as you mentioned, is still good, but it hasn't been quite as good. But it really has been their offense, right? So they're 14th in net rating on defense right now, which is about league average. But they're in the 20s for offense. So if that offense could start figuring it out, and with those Mike Conley numbers hopefully starting to get back to normal, those things are going to start to roll into place. According to ESPN's RPI rankings, one of their stats is expected win-loss based off of um, their current winning percentage 
and their strength of schedule and kind of what ESPN's model would say they should be uh, having as a record right now. The Jazz are actually outperforming ESPN's record model right now. So the Jazz should be, according to ESPN's estimated win-loss, they should be 500 at 12-12, and and they're currently 13-11. Now, most teams have... um, one or two difference. I think the biggest difference is just three wins. Only one team has that number. Um, so the Jazz only have a one-win difference. But if you look at this as a situation where they do have a lot of easier games coming up, they have been performing just fine, if not a little bit better than just fine. So for all the worry there is to have about the Jazz and all the nerves to have for a Jazz fan, uh, again, I need to reiterate, m- more and more confident after seeing all these statistics and putting them together. All right, next up, we have the Philadelphia 76ers. So the Sixers, I know you guys are tired of hearing me talk about them, right? But here's the thing. They're just kind of going to just just get over it because it's not going to stop. Um, they're 17-7. and seven. Pete mentioned before, actually, both of us are watching this game right now as we do this podcast as they are under five minutes to go, up five against the Nuggets. And they, they're sitting at 17-7. and seven. They're past strength to schedule as of this weekend. And Pete, this might have changed, but it's – it was at 29th and 28th on Bleacher or on Basketball Reference and ESPN, and their future strength of schedule is fourth. Now, this makes me pretty nervous. Like it, it's even in this article, it's like Philadelphia isn't exactly struggling. Like that's how it opens up. It's just like their record is good, but everyone seems to like look at this team and they it, it just doesn't feel like a 17 and 7 team that you have a ton of confidence in, just because they haven't made all the pieces fit yet, right? And you know, it's a, that's a whole other debate. Are they ever going to make the pieces fit between Simmons and B and all that other stuff, right? So it's their, they're on pace for their best record in like 35 years. So that's, you know, pretty good start just on the surface. But as you look at the teams they played against and the margin of victory, so a team like the Knicks, who they've went down to the wire with twice and won by a combined total of like 11 points. They beat the Hawks by two. They beat the Cavs by one. So just in terms of margin of victory, um, which is usually a pretty good ind- indicator as uh, you look towards the playoffs, as you're trying to differentiate, okay, these teams have similar records, but who who seems to be the one that's more dominant? It's usually the team with the better, better uh, win margin, right? So they're taking care of business against the teams they should beat, and they're still winning games against the teams that are going to be tougher with the better records, right? So... The Sixers currently are in the middle of the pack in terms of double-digit wins. They're sitting at six, um, whereas you look at teams like the Clippers, the Bucks, and the Lakers, they have uh, 11. Teams like the the Heat and the Celtics have 10. The Mavericks uh, have eight. Like A lot of teams that we think of the class of the league are taking care of business against these worst teams, and the Sixers seem to kind of go through the motions. And this harkens back to discussions that we've had previously, Pete, about who are the Sixers gonna gonna use as their closer towards the end of the games? And I was saying, you know, and beads a beast, like don't worry about it. I'm not worried. And since then, since that conversation, I'm pretty worried. I gotta be honest with you. Um, they they have like the hardest remaining strength to schedule of all those teams that we talked about for uh, the top of the East. So like the Bucks, the Celtics, the Heat, the Raptors. The Bucks have the 24th toughest schedule the Celtics have the 17th Heat have the 27th Raptors have the 26th and that's moving forward right you look towards the end of end of the season now this is not to say what do we just say about the Jazz right they can get better as the season goes on that's true for any team as, as long as people 
you know, kind of just fall into place and in, in their role on each team and you never know what guy's going to step up or down for the Sixers. The guy I really am excited about to, to see step up right now is Matisse Thibel. He had a 20 point game against the Raptors. He had a 15 point game against the, uh, it was against the Kings. So like Kings middle of the road, Western conference team. Right. But the Raptors we were talking about is like a high end off, uh, Eastern conference team. And especially that was, a, that was an especially valuable 20 points against the Raptors because I think Embiid only had 10 points in that game after scoring zero points against the Raptors a couple weeks ago. Um, So Thibel is a young dude. He's mostly known for his defense, but he's shooting 44% from three. It's only on two attempts per game. So take that for what you think it's worth. But he seems to have been decently consistent from from behind the arc, even though he hasn't gotten a ton of shots up. But now I think... Other other players on the team, more recently in the past couple of weeks, I've seen look for him more on the perimeter. So I think he, he's going to step up that part of his game. His teammates are trusting him to maintain that part of his game. And, and I look, f- he is like my X factor moving forward. Because you look at Tobias Harris is what he is. Simmons, Embiid, Horford, Richardson. You know, you're going to get what you're going to get from those guys. And, and, and any one of them can go off for a 30-point game, as I'm pretty sure I think all of them have this season. So... Thibel is the one who can come in and give you such a spark on offense or defense because he's so young, so athletic, and so energetic out on the court. So what do you what do you what do your analytics say about that? I mean, I didn't expect you to go on a complete Thibel uh, <laughs> trajectory there, but in regards that's to the variable. Sixers, that's you can't you can't disprove anything I just said because I have Matisse Thibel in my argument. <laughs> it's true. That's the, that's I was emotionally hedging. <laughs> what I have to say about the Sixers, though, in general, and first thing is a kind of just a note on this whole situation here: the strength of schedule moving forward is very much a rolling uh, ranking, right? So, if the Sixers had you said they have the what the fourth hardest moving forward? Yeah, that's four. So. That may not be the fourth hardest if some of their opponents do go on a decline uh, and or could go harder if some of their opponents continue to win. So that strength of schedule for everybody across the league is very much so a rolling strength of schedule. So it can change over time. Just wanted to point that out. But the thing about the Sixers is as much as this feels like it's a similar team to last year, it really is a, a different team. They're... They took out Jimmy Butler, who, as much as you want to, don't want to say it, he was an alpha dog on that roster last year, and he changes a lot of the way things act and the way the gravity uh, moves on the floor. They added Al Horford, they added Josh Richardson, two guys who were good players. They lost J.J. Redick, their truest spacer on offense, a guy who did so much more for them than just shoot and make threes, but create spacing. He was so so good working with Joel Embiid in that. So valuable. On that team in particular, exactly. especially the two-man game you were about to get to. And I think, I don't know if we said this on the pod before, but in the past five seasons, J.J. Redick has made the fifth most threes in the NBA behind guys like Steph Curry, James Harden, Damian Lillard, and Clay Thompson, number five, you know, whatever order they were in. Right. Number five was J.J. Redick. So Which just, is incredible. You know, we think about him as just like a token shooter or whatever, but like he has been one of the top five most lethal shooters in the NBA over the, the past, you know, half a decade. Right, and I don't know if it's a miscalculation on the Sixers' front office part, but obviously his defense is not good, and it's a hindrance at certain points. But defense has not been Philly's problem, right? It has been offense. It has been creating space. It has been closing games. And J.J. Redick, I think, is being 
more missed than expected here when you do add guys like Josh Richardson and Al Horford. You miss the true spacing of the game. And for Ben Simmons, do you think he feels like he's back at LSU, like not knowing what to do with no space? Because that's what happens to him a lot on the court. He doesn't know what to do when he doesn't have the ball. Sometimes he doesn't know what to do when he does have the ball, so he just passes it away. Uh, so it's still very much a problem, and I don't know if I should feel dumb, but I kind of do for being so confident in this team before the season. I, I thought that they were the best team in the Eastern Conference, but Duff, when you were just talking, something that really jumps out to me here, you were just talking about the uh, margin of victory, right? And the Bucks are the absolute like poster child of margin of victory. They seem to win every game by double-digit points. I did a quick look at their schedule, like a super fast, just skim of their schedule. There hasn't been, there couldn't be more than six games that have been played within six points for them this year uh, that they won. Like they lost like a two-point game to the Jazz, but most of their games are 8, 10, 11, 12, 14 points. But when you look at the Milwaukee Bucks and their strength of schedule, what I'm seeing on ESPN here, it's 15th right now, right? So the Bucks are absolutely annihilating everybody in front of them right now, right? They have, they're have 21-3. and three. Of course, they're doing great. But does anyone really care if the Bucks can continuously beat teams like the Orlando Magic by 10 points? Can they? Yes. They, who, yes. Like, who cares about about that. I care. My question about the Milwaukee Bucks is when do we get to the point where Budenhoser starts feeling heat again, where Giannis starts feeling heat, where it doesn't matter if you win 60 games, what are you going to do in the playoffs? I don't think it's coming this regular season because they just haven't had the experience yet together or Giannis hasn't had the experience yet in the playoffs. But if they don't deliver again in the playoffs this year, if they don't make it to the NBA Finals, just, just to the NBA Finals, I think a conference final exit for them is a huge disappointment because these numbers as great as they are and you know you and I love statistics we do care about eye tests and frankly the fact that the Bucks just crush people by double digit points all the time and the Sixers are playing tighter games I don't know how great that makes me feel for when they're facing off head to head now obviously there are a lot of problems I think on the Sixers roster and how they can close out games and I've made that very clear in this podcast you just highlighted it again it comes down to two things. What can the Sixers do to enhance the spacing on this roster right now? And if they cannot, do they sometime soon within the year decide to break up the duo of Embiid and Simmons? And I hate being hyperbolic about that sentiment. No way but they it, do that. It could this year. I don't think no. so. I don't think so either. But even moving forward into the summer, I'm saying like that is something that needs to be discussed, and I would be absolutely shocked if it hasn't been discussed somewhat at length in their front office already. Because Joel, I mean, Ben Simmons played a game without Joel Embiid the other day, and he went 12 of 14 for 30 points and was running the show all over the place, did whatever he wanted because there was spacing, because there was room for him to do stuff. Do you do you at least believe that this conversation has been had uh, for a good amount of time in the Sixers front office and, and what do you think happens this summer I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves but these things are important when you talk about the Sixers the Bucks the Lakers the Clippers the Nuggets this regular season stuff is cute you know what I mean but it's all about the playoffs for them for the Sixers what is what is your thought on this stuff that I just talked about uh, there's some merit to it honestly you you see them every single night like I do or Bab does and we talk about the same things all the time it's just like they don't seem to fit together like they were very talented guys clearly and they just need 
more spacing. You know, they got to find that from Tobias Harris. They got to find it from Josh Richardson. They both have to start shooting the ball better. Horford, you, you know, like he's a guy who might take one or two a game, but you can't rely on him to be a floor spacer like that. And, um, and, you know, Simmons, like he's got to start creating his own space. You know, he's taking two threes, he's two for two. Like what? Just shoot it more. Like you have that confidence. You have that cushion. Now people know you can make it right now. It's in everyone. You did it once. Okay. You did it twice. Now people are thinking about it. Like it, it really is that easy to me. I think because you look at a guy like Embiid and his stupid pump fake that he does at the top of the key that everyone makes fun of him for, you know what? Like defenders jump on that. They, 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 they bite and he goes by, he goes by him half the time. Like, so it really does work. Um, as far as the off season, you know, who knows? Cause just like the Bucks for the Sixers, it's all about the postseason, and they have to at least make it to the conference finals, and they have to put up a good fight. I think against whoever they they get against, they've had two disappointing second round exits, um, where they got just kind of punched in the mouth repeatedly by the Celtics two years ago, and then the heartbreaking shot from the Raptors last year, where you know alternate reality it could have easily been them winning the championship. You know, whoever came out of the East last year was going to win just because. Golden State was just so banged up. They wouldn't have been able to overcome. They couldn't overcome Kawhi and the Raptors. I don't think they would have been able to overcome the Sixers. I don't think they would have been able to overcome Giannis for sure. So it, it really, those margins are so, so thin, thin sometimes. And that's why, you know, I was one of the people who used to say, you know, don't worry about, you know what, I'm not even going to go off on this tangent. So it's too soon to say. I think this conversation, it has to have been had. You know, you think about the, the Cavaliers. Um, when they traded Kyrie Irving, you know, they didn't, they weren't necessarily planning on trading. They were taking calls about it because they should be informed on what type of deals they can make for what type of players they have at any moment, especially when LeBron James is giving them no commitments about the future. So that's, you know, Kyrie got wind of that. He's like, trade me to the Celtics. And then they had to make it happen. Well, they didn't have to, but they made it happen. Um, so it's too soon to tell. It, it, it's really all about how they perform this offseason. Absolutely. Because uh, so, if, if, that, if that ball doesn't bounce in from the Raptors, we're having a completely different conversation. So, yeah, abs- absolutely. And, 100%. Wait, what are you going to say? I was just going to make a point about the Bucks. Like, you were like, you know, who cares if they're beating the Magic by 10 points or whatever. I care about that. I think that's really important that teams have that killer instinct, especially when it comes to the playoffs, where every every game is important and you want to know how to beat teams and beat them handily so that you don't have to put a extra wear and tear in your body during the regular season. And that's important, but B you always want to be playing winning basketball. You want to create good habits and build good habits. And that's comes from repetition. So you do that against, you treat the Cavaliers the same way you treat the Lakers, the same way you treat the Mavericks, the same way you treat the heat, the same way you treat the the Hornets, you know, like that's important to have that mindset every single night for a team. Because we pe- people talk about flipping the switch. Like, you know who can flip the switch? LeBron. Because he's, like, the best player of all – like, one of the best players of all time. So that's that's the only guy. Everyone else, they should be going 100% all the time in terms of just competitiveness. Absolutely. And I cannot argue with any of the things you just said. I guess my more of my main point on that thing right there was that's great. Not that who cares, but, like, there's bigger fish to fry is my main point. So last year in the playoffs uh, for the Bucks. Only in two of their wins were they within 10 points. So in the Pistons game, they won by more than 10 points every single series. Who cares, right? Pistons, whatever. In the Celtics series, they won all games but one by double-digit points. One game, they won by seven. 
Uh, and then in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Raptors, they won the first game by eight. They won the second game by 22, and then they lost four in a row. Does it make you nervous, though, that this close game, uh, high-intensity atmosphere, when the game slows down, is a little bit harder for the Bucks Because what they feast on over and over again is fast-break points, letting Giannis and Bledsoe and Hill get out in space and hit shooters like Chris Middleton, wide-open pull-up shots and fast, and fast breaks. Like That's how they go on these crazy runs, right? So what do they have on as far as issues uh, in regards to half-court offense. I think some of their issues actually become more similar to the Sixers when you go simply to half-court offense. And that's why these 10-point-plus blowouts they have all season long don't exactly mean as much to me because we all thought this Bucks team was better last year than they were this year, yet this year they're 21-3 and and on pace for who knows how many wins. But I think some of the same problems still lie for the Bucks, and some of the problems are kind of similar to the Sixers in that regard. Uh, does that the make team, sense? The team might have been better last year, but Giannis is better this year. And one thing that we harp on in the playoffs is generally the team with the best player, you know, will win the series. That's just kind of a general rule of thumb, unless they're overmatched. Think, you know, LeBron against the Warriors when they had the three-headed monster. But the, the team with the best player generally tends to win the series. And, and Giannis is by far the best player in the Eastern Conference. Like, I, it's, can you think of anyone that's even close? Like, there's no, no one close. No, it's not even close. So not even close. I think the team, you know, losing Brogdon, that hurts. But Giannis developing more of a three-point shot, being more confident in, in his jumper and creating space for his teammates that way and just creating, you know, every step the defender takes closer to him is a win. Because his first step is like eight feet long. So by that point, like he takes one dribble from the three-point line, he's at the rim dunking all of a sudden. So that's that's really important, I think, just from a one-on-one standpoint when you talk about that half-court defense that they're going to face in the playoffs. So I, I'm I'm really not too worried about them come playoff time. Fair enough. And uh, until I see until I see something I need to worry about, I'm not going to worry. Right. We're getting ahead of ourselves, like we talked about before. So why don't you take us to the next team to highlight uh, from that article? Yeah, so the Toronto Raptors, they're 15 and 7. We talked about them as the, you know, they're 5 in the East right now. They're actually 16 and 7 since this article came out. Um, but they have had the, you know, based on ESPN, you know, or, or uh, basketball reference, somewhere between the fourth and the seventh. So near top five strength of schedule thus far. And their future strength of schedule is 26. So, and they've been playing a lot of games without, um, Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka. I think they missed a combined twenty. Yeah, combined twenty-one games between those two, and their defense has been really, really good. So there's this statistic called game score. It's some type of all-encompassing stat that takes in, you know, how players perform against your team in terms of average points, rebounds, assists. Basically, just how productive they are on the court. So game average game score. You know, teams that have or players that have played against the Raptors. The only one that's been immune to them essentially has been Giannis. And we just, you know, spent 10 minutes singing his praises. So there you go. And then it goes, you know, so think of like 30, 30 game score is good or is great. 20 is good. You know, 10 is like, eh, okay. And then anything below that is pretty bad. So Giannis has had a 37 game score. Harden's had a 22, even LeBron. He only scored 13 points against the Raptors after Siakam went on that West coast road trip tear. Uh, and he had a 17-game score. Kemba Walker had a 14. 
Rudy Gobert had a nine. You're not really worried about Rudy Gobert. Westbrook had a nine. Kawhi had a seven. You know, no one else had higher than a 10 besides those four players, right? So they, they do really good at seeing, identifying who is your best player and how can we take them out of this game because they don't want to be beaten by, by one player. You know, Mike Malone talked about it when he started doubling Harden more frequently as he crossed half court after they had lost a, a really bad home game to the Hawks after Trey Young went for 42 points. And he was just like, I'm not going to get beat by a single player again because this team, our team is too much depth, right? We, we're too well-rounded to ever be beaten by one single player with all the bodies we can throw at any one, at any one player. So the Raptors have really kind of, I think, lived off that philosophy and focused on their defense and with the growth of Pascal Siakam being more comfortable. You know, figuring out ways to score in certain positions can be very mechanical. It can be, you know, step one, dribble right, step two, you know, plant, pivot, spin, you know, whatever you're going to do as soon as you see a defender in a certain line, you know, okay, this is the combination I need to do to get to the rim, score, find someone open, hopefully, or draw a foul, whatever. On defense, that's a little bit more about feel of the game. You know, it's a, it's a lot about effort, but it's about feeling out your opponent and and reverse engineering what you're trying to do on offense. So you see you know, your defender in a certain position say, okay, this is advantageous for me because X, Y, and Z. Now as a defender, you have to say, okay, I can't, you know, he likes to go left. He likes to go right. He wants to spin. He wants to do in and out dribble. He wants to post me up and fall away. Like you need to identify what that player is good at and say, this is how I need to put myself in a strong defensive position to counter his best move. And I think that's one thing he's really narrowed in on this season and, and taken it upon himself and has not not use Kawhi leaving as an excuse. He's taken it upon himself and say, I need to step up and be the best player on this team. And I think he's, he's had that on the offensive and defensive end, especially with the absence of, of Lowry in many of these games. I mean, he's absolute. it's incredible. Uh, can you imagine, this is something we've joked about and we've almost been kind of serious about like, can, can he win most improved player two years in a row? Can he do it again? I think like who do we think was going to do it? We we thought like Giannis might have done it. Yeah, we twice, like people right? were saying like, we Giannis could have got it last year. Like, so he went from seven points to seventeen last year, uh, from fifty percent field goal percentage to fifty five percent field goal percentage, from twenty two percent on threes to thirty seven percent on threes. This year he's gone from seventeen points a game to twenty four points a game. His field goal percentage is down, but he's taking four more threes a game, shooting still thirty six percent from three. Like it's it's almost a joke how good he's gotten in four years. And realistically, you could even just say how much better he's gotten in one year. Um, I think something we all talked about. I think in uh, the preseason Eastern Conference over unders, or at least I, I think I brought it up. At least I think we all talked about it was how the Raptors played a fair amount of games without Kawhi last year, and in a way, as they were expected to be this really awesome team. Even when Kawhi wasn't on the floor, they all played with that swagger and confidence. Now he left, and they said, we're doubling down on that swagger and confidence. We haven't even added much to this team. What do they add? Uh, an undrafted rookie, Terrence Davis, is playing some some minutes. Like, Who else did... Who did oh, we'll get to that later. Who did, they, who did they add, the Raptors, right? I... Well, OG Ananobi is like playing this he's, year. He's so. not hurt or or sick, whatever he had. He had an uh, injury yeah. and then he was sick or whatever. Like Fred Van Fleet, even with Larry out, has been incredible. Said, it's really just, you know, when you were reading off those numbers to me, it really seemed like maybe he hasn't improved. I mean, like, look, you watch you watch him, like I test, you see what he's doing on offense, defense, like he's definitely improved. But in terms of 
the production. It's really just he seems to have had a higher usage rate uh, since Kawhi has gone and Lowry's been hurt. So he's really just had more opportunity. And I think the same is true for Van Vliet. You know, no one thought Van Vliet was going to be this good when he when he came out of college. Like maybe a serviceable right. serviceable backup. Like I, I don't know, think like Raymond Felton type dude. You know, that this is way far and beyond anyone's expectations. Same thing for Siakam, and it's it's really a testament to the Raptor scouting and player development, which is really an underrated thing when when you get to the NBA. Like these these guys, they come in, they're so young. And you think, you know, you got to be a professional. Like, this is how you got to take your job seriously now. You need to take it upon yourself. Don't expect to see your coaches. That's that's true in a lot of places, but it's it's not true in others. You know, you think of um, Utah, where they where Donovan Mitchell really stepped it up. You think of the Nuggets, where they just find guys everywhere. You think of the Heat, the way it's militant down there. And then the Raptors, you got to loop all those places in together as being really high-quality um you know um player development locations absolutely it really is impressive i mean shout out to nick nurse like shout out to the raptors they're they're really really impressive and the fact that they've been doing this with according to espn the sixth hardest schedule in the league so so far and all the injuries to boot uh, it's truly impressive and now uh the, the utmost confidence uh, to, to see them as a top three seed in the Eastern Conference, yet again uh, having home court advantage for for a while out there. So I I have a question for you. It, we, before you were talking about the Jazz are thirteen and 10, uh, eleven. They were expected to be, according to the statistics you were using, twelve, 12 and twelve. Yes. Do you have those numbers for the Raptors? Yeah. Surprisingly, um, they're actually negative, which is surprising to me. They're at sixteen, sixteen and seven. Uh, their expected win loss should be seventeen and six, according to ESPN, which I don't exactly understand uh, how that works. But then that comes back to the point differential. So the way the expected win loss record is uh, created, it's based off similarly to the Pythagorean theorem of baseball, where it's runs scored, uh, and runs runs allowed. Yeah, and then it's like the Pythagorean theorem. The Pythagorean theorem, yeah, that's what it's called. I know. It, 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 there's three statistics that go into it. It's like run scored um, divided by a run scored plus runs allowed. So like the difference type of deal. It's 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 an interesting equation there that I don't have all the data on, um, but it actually has the Raptors pacing one game below where they were expected. But that means they probably won a game or two that they maybe shouldn't have late in the game where maybe they against beat. the Sixers, where the Sixers were just it was like a freaking Three Stooges episode where they're just kicking Ex- the ball out of bounds for five straight possessions. Exactly, which seems to be a thing that the Sixers do sometimes. But yeah, it it it, it surprisingly had the Raptors underpacing their expected win loss despite. Uh, the eye test and so many other things telling us how great this has been. But Duff, uh, let's move on to our, to your next team. What do you got? Oh yeah, so the next team is a team I honestly don't know how much we've talked. We haven't really talked about this team. I don't think we've talked about its specific player in Malcolm Brogdon, but I don't believe we've really dove into the Pacers thus far. So, according to this article that was posted yesterday, with little older statistics. From Basketball Reference and ESPN, they had the 30th ranked strength of schedule, so the easiest schedule so far. And I'm interested to hear the statistics on this one, Pete. Um, and in their future strength of schedule is the second most difficult, only behind uh, – I don't remember. It's, I think it might have been the Bulls, like a team that's not relevant really. Um, but their record's 15-8. and eight. They are the sixth seed in the East. Sixth seed, yep, that's right. And they've been doing this with most notably without um, 
Oladipo, who still has weirdly like no concrete timetable on when he was going to come back. I don't know if they looked at the schedule and were like, hey, we can survive without him, or they're just kind of like, all right, we're going to ride this until we hit a skid, and then we'll just inject some new blood into this. But it's been working for him so far, and uh, they've only beaten – well, just to let you know how, how their strength of schedule has been so far, I think they've only beaten – yeah, they've only beaten two teams with winning records. They beat the Nets twice, uh, probably when Kyrie was playing, and they beat the – the Jazz once, uh, and those teams are both barely above 500. They were 13 on 10, 13 11 currently. Um, so they have in December alone. The Pacers have coming up the Clippers, the Celtics, the Lakers, the Bucks, the Raptors, the Heat, and the Sixers, just in December. So I, I don't know what to do with that schedule coming up. I don't know when Oladipo is coming back. This is a team that could be like two games above 500 going in going into the new year. Um, or even like close to, you know, like something in that range. If you told me they maintain this, I'd be shocked. I expect them to take a step back in, in the, in the not so distant future here. What about you, Pete? Well, when you're talking about Giannis before, and you said how so often the team with the best player wins in playoff series and et cetera, how often do the Pacers line up and say, we have the best player on the court uh, against anyone above them on the Eastern Conference, they probably don't. Even when they, if they play the Nets without Kyrie Irving, it is very arguable to say Spencer Dinwiddie is as good or better than Malcolm Brogdon. Maybe Sabonis is the Pacers' best player right now without Oladipo. I don't know, but top tier talent is uh, it's where it's got to be Brogdon, right? It's got to be Brogdon. Uh, like, yeah, maybe one off games here and there, but like. I mean, Sabonis is incredible at what he does, like specifically with the rebounding, the passing, the efficiency. And, but there and is a, like there, he has a ceiling to his game. Absolutely, but he is very effective. But yeah, sure, we'll say we'll say Brogdon. But nonetheless, like you talked about, the, how the Heat don't have a ton of top tier talent. I actually think these teams are pretty comparable, except for the fact the Pacers don't yes. have Jimmy Butler. They have T.J. Warren, who's a nice scorer, but that's about it. When Jimmy Butler is a nice scorer, a nice defender, a decent playmaker, a leader, a this, a that. So like they don't have the top tier talent, and the ESPN expected win loss actually has them underperforming as well, which makes more sense than the Raptors, being that they play according to ESPN, the 30th uh, strength of schedule, the easiest schedule in the entire league so far. Uh, they should be 16-8. and eight. Meanwhile, there's 15-9. and nine. So, yet, they got ahead and you got to beat the teams in front of you. So, it's impressive and granted, they're lucky to have gotten this lead on the record before Oladipo comes back and the tougher schedule comes up. But, I look at this team on an eye test level where some of the statistics that hurt them are they do tend to play tighter games because they are built off grit. They are not built off outscoring and outrunning and outshooting people. They're built off figuring out ways to attack teams' weaknesses, to play hard, to play together. So when you think about analytics and the Indiana Pacers, I'd like to throw some of them out the window because we have now seen with Nate McMillan in Indiana for years now that they find a way to compete. Even some of the Paul George-led Indiana Pacers team were really, really thirsty for secondary talent. Now this team is full of secondary talent without top-tier talent. I think they're just going to be consistent. I know the schedule is going to get really tough for them, but for them to lose to the Rockets, I think they can beat the Heat on a given night. I, I, I think the Indiana Pacers play too tight, play to their competition in a good way, uh, where they do beat up on the bad teams, but they play to the competition of the better teams when maybe a team like the Raptors or Celtics can come in sleeping on the Pacers. The Pacers do not 
make it easy on them. So in that regard, my gut tells me the Pacers hang around and their schedule, I mean, their record may go closer to 500, but they are firmly, firmly a playoff team in the Eastern Conference. 100% a playoff team. I think the best they can hope to do is sort of maintain. Like, it's going to take a while for Oladipo to find his footing again. We've seen it time and time again. He's talked about Paul George. We talked about Gordon Hayward. Uh, guys like that who, who are coming back from injuries where they're out for an extended period of time. Even someone like Porzingis, I don't think, has really hit his stride again. I think there's there's a bigger boost coming to his game. So it'll be interesting to see. I think, you know, you're asking me, what are they going to look like you know, towards the end of the season, they're going to maintain, step back, step up. It all depends on how Oladipo looks. That's really the key to everything. And until he plays, we don't really have an answer. But I, I, my gut tells me, you know, best case scenario, they maintain. More realistically, they'll probably take a slight step back, but still squarely be a 6-7 seed in the East. And, and, and I th- there's a couple more teams I want to talk about, and we're getting a little bit long-winded here now, so I, I do want to move on to our next segment in a moment. But we haven't touched on a, a number of Western Conference team stuff, so... Um, let's run through three of them that I find pretty interesting at the moment. Uh, that's both LA teams and then the Dallas Mavericks, probably one of the fan favorite teams just because of Luka Doncic's success and their offensive prowess so far this year. They've been lovely to watch, but in a similar ilk to the Indiana Pacers, they have had the 27th ranked strength of schedule, AKA the third or fourth easiest schedule so far. Um, according to ESPN, who is this again? The Dal- the Dallas Mavericks. Okay, okay. I don't know if I even said that yet. I forgot. No, to... I thought no, I thought that's what you said. I I just uh, tuned out. So ESPN has them at an expected win loss of eighteen and fifteen, and only sixteen and seven, which at the straight up win loss record, sixteen and seven for a team like the Dallas Mavericks feels very very nice. But looking at that strength of schedule, it makes you feel a little bit worse about it. Though two of their losses came to the Knicks, think about that. If they beat the worst team in the league twice, like they should have twice, they'd be 18 and 5. They'd be a better record than the Clippers. They'd have a better record than the Celtics, than the Toronto Raptors. They'd be in third place in the Western Conference, and that would be incredibly impressive. And they'd probably be blown up to an even bigger uh, uh, level here. So, with the Dallas Mavericks, we all thought this team was a fringe playoff team. Did we get too high on them too early based off the Luka success, based off the early season success with the easy schedule? Does this team fall down to earth when they start playing harder teams and it's harder for guys like Tim Hardaway, Dwight Powell, Maxi Kleba, and uh, you know DeLon Wright to really carry their weight when they're playing teams like Utah and, and Denver and et cetera, like these harder teams in the league? I actually am pretty confident in the Mavericks. Now, maybe it's because I'm just drinking the Luka Kool-Aid pretty hard and I'm actually going to go see the Mavericks play against the Sixers Friday, December 20th. Looking forward to that. Uh, but I think they're, I think they'll be okay. I think they can maintain, I think early this season, you know, you look at the, the, the Mavericks and you kind of see some of the, the rockets in them. Like if oh, you really look, sure. you can see the DNA, for right? Sure. For sure. But what, like, how do you feel about watching the Mavericks versus watching the Rockets Pete? Well, Luca of two things. First off, Luca is new, so he is way more exciting. But he also yeah, he's does a little bit of the shiny new toy. Hundred percent the shiny new toy, but he also does a few little things that Harden doesn't do as often, which 
Like Hard, Harden doesn't give the ball up to get it back and then run plays. Luca does really keep the ball moving a little bit more. He act, this is a surprising statistic. I might be outdated, but a week ago I heard it on uh, the Hardwood Knox. Oh no, was it? Oh, actually, no, that's not true. It was on the Rusillo podcast. He said that Luca actually holds the ball longer so far this season. Uh, than James Harden, which is like baffling to think that anybody in the league can hold the ball longer than James Harden. But Luca well, and Trey Young, team, some of the new double team strategies against Harden could could have a lot to do with that, actually. True, and this was this was a week ago, so it's probably even more in Harden's favor in that regard. But Luca and Trey Young both hold the ball ball more than James Harden. Uh, but it's partly the shiny new toy, and we all love Luca. There's no hate being thrown his way right now, but he does tend to or seemingly move the ball a little bit more freely to get it back and then do whatever he wants for 15 seconds. Uh, so it is a little more aesthetically pleasing, but I think it is a lot more similar um, than we may let on, and it's kind of the shiny new toy thing allowing us to enjoy Luka more than Harden and the Rockets, who people tend to hate if they don't love. I think a big difference is Harden's still better than Luka in my eyes. And then you look at guys like Ben McElmore, Daniel House, P.J. Tucker. Like they're not as dynamic as like Tim Hardaway Jr. or Kristaps Porzingis, or even like Maxi Kleba, who's all of a sudden catching lobs now. Right. And Seth, Seth, Curry, Seth Curry, Seth Curry, Dwight Powell, yeah, Delon Curry. Wright. Like, yeah. Those guys those are probably guys. better than the Rockets guys. Yeah, like Finney Smith, like all of them seem to be a lot better than the Rockets supporting cast. And I think that goes a long way, whereas Luca can trust them to make different decisions. And along with Rick Carlisle, you know, the top down, I really think they have a lot of trust in those guys around them. And it's, it's more exciting to watch them. I think they get up and up and down in transition more often. They have guys who want to run, whereas the Rockets, it's, it's just so built around Harden. It's so Harden centric. And he's just not typically the type of guy you think about when you, when, when you're talking fast break points and, and beating teams up and down the court. Like he's explosive, but he's not necessarily top speed fat. You know, like we talked about the Bucks before, who love to get out and run with the guy like Giannis. You know, Harden ain't that guy. And I think Luca is more interested in passing up ahead to open guys and trusting them down the court. And, you know, we talked about the you know, the Powells, the Finney Smith, the the um who's uh who's Hardaway, I'm missing another wing guy. Uh, am I missing a wing guy? Uh, I'm trying to. I think said Dwight myself. Powell. Who's the other one? Uh, continue for now. This is gonna bug me. All right, whatever. <laughs> but those guys, you watch them at the end of games, and they're not—they're not afraid to get in the mix. Like they really seem confident that they're gonna put their stamp on this game, either on the offensive end, defensive end, take a charge, take a chance, going for a steal, you know, attacking the rim when you think you know this isn't your time, but th- like they go for it, and you really got to respect that from these guys. Jalen Brunson. Justin oh, Jackson? No. Yeah, Justin Jackson's pretty decent. Yeah. Uh, those are the other guys that I, I got here. I don't know. There's nobody else. DeLon Wright. That was the one. Oh, I said him before. All right. Whatever. I didn't when I was going through the rundown there real quick. Yeah. All those guys, they just seem more confident to, to – they seem more empowered than, than the – supporting cast on the Rockets. That's that's how I would say it. That's the I think, And I think that's an important thing. And also the Rockets don't have Eric Gordon. Russell Westbrook's been a train wreck offensively with when it comes to efficiency. I think that team, those two teams put together is a great like test of like what type of basketball you enjoy and also what you can expect moving forward. Because the teams do have a lot in common. Um, 
Like we didn't mention Clint Capello, by the way, with the Rockets. He's been good, but is he the right guy for the Rockets? I don't know. So it, it becomes pretty He's interesting. Definitely the right guy for the Rockets, but I think, well, I think someone like Cleveland gives you a little bit more dynamic, like depth in terms of where you can score from offensively. I was even thinking guy. Maxi Kleba. He'll pull a three. Oh, for sure. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I don't know. But moving forward, it'll be interesting to see as the Rockets had the 12th uh, hardest schedule. So they had one of the harder schedules in the NBA, just above average uh, there. And the Mavericks had a relatively easy one, a very easy one, actually. Uh, now moving forward, what happens here as maybe Russell Westbrook's stats start to go back to just below average instead of terrible. <laughs> but real quick on the two L.A. teams, we have the Lakers and the Clippers. The Lakers have had the 18th hardest schedule and the Clippers have had the 10th or the 10th easiest. I'm, I'm feeling like I'm putting this backwards, but the Lakers have had a, uh, an easier schedule and the Clippers have had a harder schedule um, so far. Can we imagine the Lakers not just continuing this pace setting, incredible win loss record uh, in the East? Like they're 21 and three right now. The closest team in the Western conference, as far as losses is the Clippers at seven Clippers, Mavericks, Nuggets all have seven losses. Right. So do the Lakers run with the one seed? Like, is that something that we're that we should like start expecting soon? Yeah. Like LeBron just seems to be in fuck you mode and he's reinvigorated by the fact that he has someone like Anthony Davis on his team. So it's it's really just not gonna stop. Like I I can't imagine it. Like they're gonna be showtime. He still wants to assert himself as the as the dominant team in LA, everyone was hyping up the Clippers and saying that this is the team to beat. And he's just wants to make sure no one forgets what the Lakers are doing right now. And that he's still in his prime, which is miraculous. And he's had like, I feel like he's had like a 12 year prime at this point. Um, so for, for the Lakers, like don't expect it to change. LeBron is in serious. Fuck you mode. Serious, serious fu mode for LeBron. Um, what is he? His new hashtag is Washed King. So we'll see that a lot this yeah. year. We'll see that a lot. Um, hashtag right. Strive for Greatness. Hashtag Taco Tuesday. By the way, we've been crapping on Atlanta a little bit on this podcast. There's a last note here before we move on. We've been crapping, crapping all over Atlanta on this podcast here, Duff. They've had the hardest schedule in the league this year. How about that? Did the Hawks start doing better? Uh, maybe a little bit, I, I guess, just by factor of quality of opponents moving forward. But I still expect them to be a bottom four team in the in the East. Right. All right. Well, that's good stuff. Strength of schedule is very interesting. We should do another, uh, you know, halfway point episode where we go some through some of these same ideals uh, and see how things have changed. Whose schedules are now looking harder moving forward uh, as we start to see some separation. I'm sure from the lower halves of each conference and maybe some more. De- definition in the middles of each conference of who is going to you know really jump up to that two to four range and who's going to settle into five six seven uh but good stuff Duff. let's move on to our next segment here on the sports blog new york podcast pete kennedy john lucas duffy here it's time for the second installment of clickbait corrections Duff. a very fun segment we started last week that um actually got some feedback on twitter shout out to my girl lilka she hit me up on Twitter that Lilka. Uh, I know Lilka. Yeah, you do know Lilka. Shout out to um the what's it what are those uh wow those bas- that basketball podcast we went to live. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh it was the uh Count the Dings. Count the Dings. Network. Right. Count the Dings. Shout out to Count the Dings. They're now with the Athletic, I believe. So shout out to my close personal friend Amin Al Hassan. Yes. And Tom Habistrow, our close personal friends. They're close with, personal friends. They're with Tom the Athletic now, so they're like big time. We're just still lowly out here grinding, but whatever. Yeah. Shout out to Lilka. She liked the the uh 
clickbait correction segment. So here we are with the second installment, Duff. Are you ready for our first article headline? Let's fire it up. I need to come up with a tagline like they have in Highly Questionable. The game where everybody says the article headlines and we tell them if they're good, bad, or terrible. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Well, it's working. We'll work on it. But basically, we read an article. We tell you what it should say. Here's the first article headline of Clickbait Corrections installment number two. Duffy from ESPN. How Lonzo Ball is rebuilding his shot with the Pelicans. Lonzo Ball finally admits his jump shot's broke as fuck. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's what the headshot that's, headline should have read. That's what it should say? Poor yeah. Lonzo, man. Ugh, man, I just I love him so much when he does good stuff on the court, and he seems to just continuously set himself back with injuries and then stuff like this. It hurts. It hurts, but maybe he has accepted that his jump shot is funky and he'll make it a little more silky moving forward. Next clickbait correction headline, and this is a personal favorite of mine. Here we go, Duff. Are you ready? This one might send you. Should we save this one for the end? Let's save it for the end. No, no. You're not thinking of the one I'm thinking of. This is another one with the same team. Quick spoiler, but not a big spoiler. All right, here we go. ESPN, Duff. ESPN. Would hiring Jason Kidd help the Knicks land Giannis? (laughs) That's just a big sigh. Like, I read that, and I just suck. So, all right. This has been much. This should, qu- this should be corrected to. Knicks will not land Giannis. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can we as not? As first reported by, as first reported by NBA outsiders. The NBA outsiders report. Stop okay. talking about Giannis. Get to the Knicks, just please. Already stop. All right. So what I hear when I see this article is, it's not as bad as last year with the Durant stuff, but to this point, the Knicks have fired a coach. We have been rumored to be. Uh, a contender to land Masai Ujiri in the offseason. And then now... As if, the rumor started by the Knicks. Yeah, of course. And then now if we hire Jason Kidd, we're more likely to land Giannis in another year after this year. More likely Ugh. than what? Like, more likely than with an interim coach? Like, yeah, I'd probably agree with that. But yeah, yeah. the whole reason Giannis loved Jason Kidd so much is because he came from playing in the freaking CYO League in Greece. <laughs> where he just had no one coaching him. And then he had... And then Jason Kidd was his coach, and he was like, this is a guy. Like, I, I don't understand. How could one man be so knowledgeable about basketball? Like, what must he think of, of uh, Mike Budenholzer now? He must just be, like, going, I don't know. Well, Giannis is a new man. Giannis is now an intelligent or does basketball he see, savant. Or does he just appreciate himself? Yeah. He, well, he also appreciates Budenholzer, but I think kids is going to be guy. a little both, but it's, it's more appreciation of himself. Ridiculous there, headline right? there, Duff. Ridiculous headline. Let's stick with Giannis, though. Another headline. This one's from SB Nation. We kind of talked about this before, so we can just go quick with the clickbait correction number three. Giannis and the Bucks look better than ever from SB Nation. Yeah, no shit. Like, what, I don't know what to even say to that. Like, I would yeah. just say I would just say Giannis is better than ever, and the Bucks are on his back for the ride or something like that. Because like, yeah. do the Bucks look better than ever? Eh, but Giannis yeah. looks better than ever, which makes the yeah. Bucks look that better than ever. That was the point ever. we made earlier, though, right? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. All right, here we go. Next one. This one was from you actually, so you heard this one already. But from SB Nation again, Terrence Davis went undrafted on purpose. Now he's one of the class's best rookies. I don't. I don't know. Full disclosure. Like I just was scrolling, <laughs> looking for for good headlines for this. I saw that one and I clicked. Like it got me. It you got had me to click. Happen. I'm gonna read it right after we're done with this because <laughs> I don't know who Terrence Davis is. I don't know how or why someone would go drafted on undrafted on purpose. But I need to know 
Like how, like what, what, what is this? They got me. I'm roped in. I'll, I'll follow up next week and let you know whether it was even worth it or not. <laughs> Just the idea of getting undrafted on purpose is outrageous. But, you know, maybe the Raptors were like, Masai Ujiri was like, yo, wink, wink, TD, Terrence Davis, don't do, do, do terrible at the combine. We're going to snag you. You're going to play 20 minutes for us and be one of the best rookies in the league. All right, I'll just suck my draft combine away then. Who knows? All right, here we go. Next uh, clickbait correction. Let's do the Woj one. Let's finish with the Woj one. This is it. This is the last one here. This is a Woj article headline, and it's quite amazing. Here we go. From ESPN, obviously, it's Woj. Real-world logic does not always apply to Dolan's Knicks. So for that one, I just take out the Knicks. Just take out the word Knicks on that one. Just real world <laughs> logic does not apply to Dolan. Just that's it. That's all it's like. Remember how like Michael Jackson just didn't know how much a gallon of milk costs, and he just paid with like a fifty dollar bill. Like that's a famous story about him. Or or who who was it? Who's John Legend's wife? Uh, Chrissy Teigen. Yeah, Chrissy Teigen was like, guys, I just found out about Uber, and that was like six months ago. It's like. What like they just don't? He does not. Reality is just an option for that guy. Like he, and it's especially bad because he's like, yeah, like top bands in the world. Like Foo Fighters are up there, you know. Like Kanye West is pretty popular, you know. Drake, you know, he's doing his thing. But like JD and the Straight Shots, <laughs> don't sleep on us. Like that's that's what's going on in his brain. He's like, we're just one song away. Like when his he had his own band, I think, open up at MSG for the Eagles. Like what a brutal showing for all those people. Oh. Terrible. He's just like, yeah, we play with the Eagles. Yeah, why not? I read that. Ar- I read that article or the headline. I did not have to read the article because the the headline actually says it all. I think it's perfect. It just no logic applied here. Nothing makes sense with the Knicks. You bring in a coach that everybody seems to love. Even now, he got fired. The players still love him, but the team sucked. Does the team suck because the players suck? Because the front office sucks or the coach sucks? Everybody sucks. The Knicks can't get it right. Logic does not apply to Dolan's Knicks stuff. It's just that's the most accurate one-liner headline I've ever seen. Maybe. Yeah, just a quick note on Fizz because that happened at the end of last week and we missed it. Uh, I think it was like a Friday. You know, we we kind of all felt to come in and we had said he looked like he was coaching his first job after those rumors came out and all those things. It's disappointing. I don't even know who the interim coach is. Um, his name is Mike Miller, but is not the ex-player Mike Miller. Right, right. He's at Memphis, actually, coaching with uh, Penny Hardaway. Which is fire. Bring them yeah. to the Knicks. Think, think about them in the room trying to recruit a player. Like, how could you possibly say no to those two guys, I feel like? Yeah. Except people uh, under 21 may not know who Penny Hardaway is, but it seems to be working out so far. Yeah, but like he, they walk into the room and it's like, hey, you want to get to the NBA? Because like, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> Or like I don't. Where did Mike Miller go to college? You know? Nope. Top of your head? Nope. Well, Penny went to Memphis, so he can spin that to guys and be like, "Hey, like you don't think you can do it from Memphis? You think you need to go to Kentucky? That's not true. Like, this is it." Derrick Rose. Ever heard of him? Show you the way. Ever ever heard of him? Chris Douglas Roberts. Ever heard of him? <laughs> Chris Douglas Roberts. Fire. <laughs> Mike Miller went to Florida. Oh wow, we looked that up at the same time. I was about to say that. All right, well, think, you, you, you uh, okay. cued me up there about the Knicks and Fizdale. Let me just go off for a hot minute, and I swear I'm going to keep this like really short here because this is the gist of it, Duff. I've been saying the same stuff since before the season. My t- only thing that changed from before the season to like the last three weeks is my tone because before the season, 
I was hopefully saying that the Knicks should be focusing on these young guys. The worst thing they can do is prioritize um, the Wayne Ellingtons and the Marcus Morrises and the Bobby Portises over the Knoxes and the Barretts and the Nilakinas and the Smiths. And that was the worst thing that can possibly happen, and that's exactly what happened. So before the season, I said it hopefully about two weeks ago. I was saying it negatively without hope, and now with no more Fisdale, you know, we have to see what Mike Miller does from a rotation standpoint. But the path is obvious. Trade whatever you can for whatever you can get. Play the young guys. Portis ain't helping the future. Morris ain't helping the future. Randall's not right now, but maybe he can help the future. So play him. But it's all about Mitch, Knox, Nilakina, Barrett, Smith, even Alfred Payton. Sick of these older guys. Trade whatever you can for whatever you can get. I don't understand the direction of your team. What do you gain out of firing Fisdale right now? Nothing. Maybe this Mike Miller guy's a ringer. I don't know, Duff. But my tone has now changed from hopeful to disappointed to confused to frustrated. I don't know what the direction is. I don't know what the answer is. All I know is the focus needs to be on the five or six young guys who are 24 on under who have a chance to be on this team in two years, possibly in the rotation. And that's my final answer. Yeah, the Knicks are down uh, twenty right now in the second quarter. They're they're probably gonna give up like uh, against the against the Blazers. They're probably they're probably gonna go with like a sixty like probably seventy point quarter. Oh god, sixty five point quarter oh, or a half. It's pretty good. All right, wrap it up. I just got one. I got the the Life Comes at You Fast award. So this week, the week three winner of the Life Comes at You Fast award, or maybe it's the third winner of the uh, the Draymond the uh, Draymond Green Life Comes at You Fast award is for. Carl Anthony Towns. So, Pete, did you watch the Lakers Timberwolves game? I caught weekend? I caught a portion of it. Yes. Yeah, me too. I didn't really watch the whole thing, but really, what blew up about that game? I mean, it was a twenty point win for the Lakers, so it, it, w- it wasn't too much to see. But during the game, Lizzo, popular rapper, female rapper, plus plus size rapper, Lizzo, on the the court. You know, she's sitting courtside. She's hanging out. She's having a good time. She is being interviewed by some sideline reporter, I think, from local L.A., like Fox Sports, whatever. And they, you know, they go up to, you know, how you doing at the game? You know, you, she's like, oh, yeah, I'm having a great time. You've a Lakers fan. She's like, oh, no, I'm a fan of number 32 over there on the Wolves. And it was Carl Anthony Towns, right? So this guy, he goes from being talked about as possibly, you know, the best center in the game up there with with uh, Anthony Davis. And he's, he's spacing the floor. It's helping out Wiggins like he's doing it for the team. To like now he's just got those memes of of him where he's just trying to back down to Marcus Cousins who's got a straight face. You remember that one when he's on the Pelicans? Yes. So now they just Photoshop Lizzo's face on the Marcus Cousins. So it's like he's trying to get away from Lizzo, but he just can't. Uh, so that's that's tough look for my guy right there. <laughs> life but who knows? Com- Maybe he's a big time Lizzo fan. Hey, who isn't a big time Lizzo fan? Am I right? That's a good point. That's a, that's a really good point. Love her energy, honestly. Fantastic. She's your shot, girl. Did you also see uh, her wardrobe for the game? Oh, I I saw I didn't see it. That was the thing. There, were, I didn't see the wardrobe. She that was, was the problem. She was wearing, and I'm not kidding, an assless dress. <laughs> she was legitimately wearing an assless dress. I would say assless chaps, but they were not pants. It was a they dress. Pants. Yeah. Think of a sundress with no ass. Exactly. And uh, working sideline. They showed her on the jumbotron with a like just her bare ass and a thong doing a dance. And I love that energy. I'm here for it all day, every day. Go Lizzo. Her songs are kind of cool. That's good stuff. All right, that's it. That's it, Pete. Time to wrap it up. That's it, Duff. Any last words for the SBNY podcast today? 
once you get down to Lizzo's thong, it's just time to move on. <laughs> Keep it moving. Keep yeah. it moving. Sports Blog New York Podcast. Hopefully you guys enjoyed today's episode. For John Lucas Duffy, I'm Peter Kennedy. Don't forget to hit subscribe, leave a rating, leave a review, and tell us what you think about the Sports Blog New York Podcast. And NBA Outsiders Edition, we're back next week with more episodes. And I promise we'll be getting to an NFL episode next week. The scheduling has been a little tight here. Uh, getting hitting into December, into the holiday season. It's been a little tricky. But the NFL episodes will be back uh, hopefully next week as well. And the NBA content always with the NBA Outsiders. Again, John Lucas Duffy, I'm Pete Kennedy. Have a great day, everybody.